Hey everybody, this is Brandon Still, your host. I'm also the owner of New Light Hospitality Solutions. We're a consulting firm that works directly with restaurant owners to increase operational efficiencies. Whether it's cultural realignments, menu costing, or just creating next steps for your business, we can help you do it. We're now accepting new clients. We have no long-term contracts, but we will put together long-term solutions for your location. Email brandon at newlighthospitality or call 615-476-5259. The call and the consultation are free. I look forward to hearing from you. Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, a podcast for and about the people of the Nashville restaurant scene. Now here's your host, the CEO of New Light Hospitality Solutions, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City, and welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and I am your host, and it is a beautiful day in Nashville today, and I'm so excited because we get to do something a little bit different. We're going to be speaking to John Stevenson, and he is the owner of Hathorn. And John's one of these guys that's been in the business for a super long time, got into the business and kind of worked on the line and built himself up. He's been incredibly progressive throughout his career and I'm just super excited to be able to talk to him today about kind of the transition between being a, a chef and an owner. And um, I hope you guys enjoy it. So uh, we've got John right here on the horn, and let's let's bring him in. John, how are you doing today? Hi, Brandon. Good morning. I'm uh, I'm doing I'm doing okay. You know, I'm hanging in there and uh, peaks and valleys and all that. So far today, and we're on, we're on track. <laughs> on track for a good day. That's good. And I, I'm, you know, I'm so excited to get into exactly your state of mind because I mean, there's so many perspectives right now. It's not only people that work the line or people that are still working, people that are delivering to go. There's so many facets of the hospitality industry today, but you've transitioned into being a restaurant owner. And I want to hear that perspective, but I also want to start off with kind of how you got there. Sure. And am I right that it started at Amerigo? Yeah, you're you're exactly right. Yeah, um, when I think about it, it's it's kind of funny to me. But I I have actually been in the in the industry for almost for about thirty years in Nashville. Um, when I moved to Nashville in about ninety one, I uh, started as a line cook. My first job in a kitchen was at Amerigo, and you know I started didn't really hadn't really ever worked in a kitchen before. I'd worked in restaurants um, as server, but I'd never worked in the kitchen. You're talking about Amerigo at nineteen twenty West End Avenue, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Oh, they had just opened that year, so they were they were a pretty big deal back then. Um, you know, as as a new restaurant on West End, and so Bill Latham and Al Roberts. Bill Latham and Al Roberts. Bill Latham is actually uh, my cousin. Is he really? I'm related. I'm blood related to his wife in in, in Mississippi, and so uh, I had known him. But you know, we weren't particularly close in Mississippi. But when I moved up here and got a job, I got to know him a little bit more, and I've actually consulted with him over the years back and forth on you know my next moves as a chef and as a restaurateur and so i've used him as a resource over the years he doesn't own amerigo anymore they sold that off a few years ago so i lived in jackson mississippi in 2001 and i used to manage the amerigo uh in jackson and so bill and al were mentors of mine i mean i love them to death so we have that in common so i'm sorry go right ahead so yeah i mean i'm i'm 
I wasn't planning on a, a career in, in the restaurant industry. That was just really a job. I was always really interested in food. But uh, at that point, I'd still had plans to do one of two or three different things, you know, either be a, a high school English teacher or a music business person. And I tried both a little bit during the 90s. Neither of them stuck. So um, every time I would either be in school or trying other things, I would always keep a job in the kitchen, you know, whether it was Amerigo or the corner market or places like that. Uh, I was always cooking right up until the time uh, around 99 when I decided to go full time into the industry and went to culinary school um, for a year. I found a, an accelerated program and um, went and uh, I'd, been, I'd already been cooking a lot. So I, you know, I'd. I knew a lot of the tricks of the trade and I knew how kitchens worked, you know, went to school for a year to kind of shore up some of my technical knowledge and uh, came back to Nashville in 2000 uh, after a year away and um, got back to work, you know? So I want to get back to a little known place. I don't know how little known it is anymore, but you mentioned the corner market Yeah, yeah. and you're talking about the corner market, like in West Mead where Sam's place is now, right? Yeah. The corner market was, um, a place in Bell Mead, uh, opened by Jim and Emily Frith. I think they opened it around uh, 1990, uh, like maybe, yeah, right around in there. Uh, to me, it was just a magical place. I mean, this is, you know, way, way before Whole Foods or, or anything like that. I mean, I think we had one other organic style store, but they were the first place that was really, you know, they had local produce, regional stuff. They had amazing imports of items to use in the kitchen. They had a deli, they had a catering kitchen and for a good long time, probably, you know, at least 10, 15 years, that place was just the, the spot to be. I mean, you could get great sandwiches, great food. Of course they called it the corner markup because <laughs> it was, you know, it was, it wasn't cheap stuff, but it was you know stuff that you had never seen. I saw ice cream made out of basil and things that, you know, at that time it was, it was the forefront of, uh, of food innovation in a lot of ways and um, really inspired me to want to be in the industry uh, long-term. I, I really met a lot of great people, was inspired and mentored by a great chef there uh, named Steve Scalise, uh, who was from New Orleans. And so he brought in a lot of the uh, Creole Cajun kind of influence that they had. You know, they were famous for, for their gumbo and um, among other things, a magical place. My sister worked there for a few years back, I think 96, 96 97 ish mm -hmm. and i'll never forget i still crave the rb gar oh my god it's like the best sandwich we just made the stuffed potatoes the other night here you know that's that, that was the large part of my job was uh, making those potatoes every day that they uh, that they sold in the deli but yeah there's so many recipes and items that were were classics you know we're just uh people were were craving them all over town and it was, it's funny, that place taught me a, a whole lot about cooking and about, um, you know, what how magical a kitchen could be when you get the right mix of people in there. It also taught me about uh, when the, you know, the dangers of expansion, you know, because they were they were cranking. And then sometime around 99, they decided to expand into the space next to them. So I did a big remodel, changed the layout, changed the flow. And they lost something, honestly. I mean, I love them to death and still do. But they lost something when they tried to make it bigger and better. Do they take over Bradley Drugs? Yeah, they took over Bradley Drugs, and it just it just wasn't the same. You know, before it was kind of packed in, and and there was a vibe to it, and there was just kind of a 
an ethos and you could just feel it. And then when, when they expanded, you lost a little bit of that energy and something, something was off. So hmm. um, I think, you know, a few years after that, I think they decided to change their direction and move the operation. But that taught me that no matter how great something is, you can ruin it by trying to make it perfect. Um, uh, there's a great saying in France called perfect is the enemy of good. And uh, that means that, you know, you can have something good and if you keep tweaking it too much, you might lose the element that makes it special. So just, you know, it taught me to kind of look at things from a different perspective and not worry about making sure that every single thing is perfect. As long as you get, you know, as long as you get the majority and you have something great, don't disrespect the the fact that it's, it's good already. I, I just love your mentality. And it, it, some of it comes from the corner market. I think it's kind of who you are in your DNA though. When I first met you, I was at uh, creation gardens and you were at Fido. Yeah. And what you were doing to this coffee shop, which is essentially a coffee shop, but you were turning it into something completely different. I think you've called it a gastronomic coffee shop. Yeah. When I first met with you, we started talking and you said, I want to use local farmers. I want to use small production. I want to help my community and I want to create food that's really second to none. And we're, we're talking about 2006. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is 14 years ago. That was your mindset back then and what you completely did to Fido. Tell me about how that just that whole time was for you. You know, yeah, Fido, I, I worked there uh, for 12 years. I was an executive chef and GM. Um, I started in 02. And for a couple of years, you know, I was just trying to get my feet on the ground there. Bob Bernstein, you know, hired me into he you know, to his credit, he wanted to find somebody that was young and had their own ideas and wanted to take, you know, Fido in, in a in a cool direction. He was always he's always been about, you know, organics and things like that. So he had a you know, we had a good understanding of what, you know, I was allowed to do and what he wanted and what I want. It took a couple of years, but around oh four, oh five, things started picking up and we started getting noticed because I was doing that. I mean, I'm I really am proud of what we did there because we were on the forefront of, of, you know, kind of that transition of coffee shops from coffee shop with a bagel and a donut to places that could really be the third space for everybody, including the third, third space for their food. As far as, you know, we could elevate what we were serving in coffee shops to almost the same quality as that of, of great restaurants, um, you know, at a fraction of the cost. You know, we were in a, the right neighborhood for that, for sure. But people really, really appreciated that. And, I mean, by the time I left, we had, we had grown, you know, five or 600%, you know, over, over 10 years. Uh, it, was, it was a good run. We had a good run there. You know, I learned a lot. I had a great, you know, I, it was kind of atypical of a chef gig. I, I, I didn't work a ton of nights and I got a lot of weekends off and, um, you know, I got to really um, focus on what we were producing, you know, our producers and our vendors and, uh, you know, work with great people like Creation and a lot of local farms, Kenny's Cheese. And that was kind of the pre-dawn era of Nashville's explosion, you know, about 06 to 2010 was kind of like, that was the before time when, you know, nobody was noticing us yet, but we were still growing and getting ready for the, for the giant explosion that happened, you know, uh, 2010 onward. It's kind of like, that 2005 time, I started in Creation Guards 2005, and we exploded. I mean, we just exploded with people that were just wanting what we were doing. And then the economic downturn hit in 2008, 2009, and it's almost like 
everybody shifted and we all became lean and everybody wanted to help each other. And we kind of became this community of people that, which I think is not dissimilar to what's happening right now, but everybody wanted to help each other. And it really began like the community got so strong. Uh, in 2010, we had a flood, which really brought the community together. And then I think Nashville never looked back until right now. That's that's one of the things that I always loved about the industry, um, especially from about that time onward. It's exactly that. It's that it didn't feel um, like a cutthroat competition. It, it's always felt like all of this, all of the chefs and all of the restaurateurs. Yeah, sure, they want to be successful. And they don't want to be the, the the one to lose, you know, lose the game. But they always wanted to help new people. They always re- reached out to, you know, talk about what was going on. Um, you know, seeing people at at the generous helpings food shows and things like that. Everybody has been has always been so supportive of each other because they know that you know this is this is a, a system and a, and a city that you know if we lift everybody up, it's going to be better for everybody. So. That's one thing I've always appreciated about the industry in this town. And, and I, it, you're right. It doesn't seem like it's dissipated. Um, it, hopefully it'll just continue to grow and you know, we'll see what happens during this thing. But yeah, do, the, the 2008 turndown was, was tough. And it's funny that, you know, recently I've been thinking about what's going on now. And a month or two ago, I was thinking, okay, well, look, we weathered the 2008 storm pretty well. We've weathered the flood. We've done, we can do this. And, um, you know, I was really positive about it initially. And and then it started to dawn on me that this is a little bit, you know, this is a little bit different kind of challenge to face. Um, so there are going to be different answers and different responses. I still think we're going to get through it. I mean, we're all going to have to. But um, this is a particularly unique set of circumstances that I think is, uh, whew, man, it's, uh, it's frightening. It's frightening in a lot of ways. And uh, I, I am I'm somewhat excited to see what, how, how we come up with a you know uh, a response to it and how we respond, uh, how we come back. But man, there's a lot of, a lot of unknowns right now for sure. Let me ask you a question. So let's pivot to that. We went to um, you've been a chef. We've talked about you working in Nashville in restaurants since 1991. You've been out here working. It's always been for somebody else. Yeah. Right. So in this type situation in 2009, you weren't the one holding the note. And now Correct. here we go. You open Hathorne in 2018, right? At the end of 2018. Yeah, that's right. And now you're the owner and there's this, it's a different responsibility that you have. How, how does your mindset change from being an employee to an employer? It's funny. Uh, there are a lot of changes, but I've, I've always had the attitude of an owner. You know, I think one of the reasons I've been I'm not wildly successful, but I've had some success. I've had, you know, I've, I've created a, a, a decent following a, a, among clientele in Nashville. I have some respect for the things that I've done at various places, especially Fido. I've always gone to work with the mindset of like, I got to treat this place as if it were my own, because that's what the owner is paying me to do. You know, he wants me to look at it from that perspective. But part of that perspective as always as an owner is to make sure you are seeing it from the perspective of your of your employees and, and your guests. But your employees first, make sure that they love coming to work and they love working with you. So uh, I always try to come to work with that perspective. But 
yeah, it, it's a transition that before I opened the restaurant, I've never experienced a level of anxiety and uh, trepidation and, and just, you know, once you get the, the ball of opening a restaurant rolling, the momentum is terrifying, <laughs> you know, because once it's set in motion, it's like, there's no, there's no stopping this, you know, there, you can't turn it off. If, you know, if you have second thoughts, you know, after it's going, it, it's going. So that feeling is pretty terrifying. I love your answer that you come to work and you, you, you act like you own it. And I've always said that to anybody that's worked for me. I've said, if you come to work and you have the mentality that this is not, let's just say, you know, fresh point or place where this is not fresh point produce. This is Brandon still produce. And you got to cut the check for this stuff. Do you make decisions differently? And there's definitely something to be said for people with that mindset and success. There's a correlation between those two, because if you act as if you are the owner of the company, you make better decisions on a daily basis. But there is a difference when your mortgage is on the line. When you actually sign a piece of paper saying, I'm accountable and I actually am writing the checks. And famously, Stephen Smithing of Greenhouse Grill in, in Maribel, who I reference a lot because he's one of my good friends and we talk a lot, has famously said, I'm the only person who can't quit. Oh, yeah. I'm the only person who can't quit in this company. So I don't have a choice. Like I have to keep going every single day. And that's kind of the a little difference in the mentality that I'm, I'm asking you about. Oh, absolutely. No, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. And, uh, uh, like, like I said, it, it's, um, it, it's a whole different level of, of, uh, you know, intensity being the one who's signing, you know, the mortgages and the leases and the, and the personal finance sheets and, you know, all the, the banks need. And, and the weird thing is, is that, you know, people ask me how I'm doing during this during the pandemic. And, you know, I, I think I'm doing about as well as anybody. I'm some days good, some days bad, but it still hasn't reached the level of anxiety and fear that I had before I opened my own restaurant. I mean, I, I, I was going through uh, daily or weekly panic attacks where I would have to sit down and just be like, it's going to, we're going to make through, we're going to get through this one way or the other. So I'm not saying it's not, <laughs> it's just, it's just personally, it's not the same kind of feeling of that. You know, I'm, I'm, concerned about what we're going through. I'm terrified for myself and my business uh, and for the nation and the world. But man, it's for some reason, there's a calmness that I think that because we're all in this situation together, there's not that kind of like, oh my God, I'm going to make this huge mistake and and ruin my business. I'm like, look, we're all uh, approaching the same challenge at the same time in essentially the same basket for the most part. And we have to figure it out together. So we're going to have to work together and we're going to have to come up with some new solutions to some of these problems. And there may be some changes, some major changes, you know, and there will be some major changes to the industry, to the way we do business, to the way we hire and, and you know, pay employees. I mean, there's going to be some opportunities to make some changes for the better on the backs of all the pain. And if there's not, I'll be very disappointed. What are you anticipating? Anything that just off the top of your head that you're referencing? Well, you know, I think for a while, I think there's going to be, you know, uh, for dine-in restaurants, there's going to be some, some, some pain in that, you know, until people feel comfortable and there's a vaccine, it's going to be a different situation for a while. And I, I don't know how long that's going to be. I have ideas and guesses, but you know, for longer than most people are going to want. Um, I think uh, practices and, and 
re small restaurants like mine are going to have to really be creative in, you know, maximizing their business that they can get, whether it be through carry out or, or pickup. And then the in-person dining, when people start feeling comfortable enough to do that, we're going to have to figure out how to operate on whatever percentage of capacity we think we're going to get 50, 30, 70, you know, whatever that is. So hopefully, hopefully it's a lot. Are you, um, are you guys currently doing to go and take out? No, I'm, you know, I made the decision about March 15th that, and it wasn't, I didn't necessarily make the decision. I looked at our books and saw the numbers on our, on our books, um, just plummeting. So I went ahead and decided to close for a few days. You know, this is pre kind of shutdown advisory or anything. Um, because I was like, people are, people are themselves are self, you know, isolating already before anything got blew up. So I, I decided to shut down for a few days and then the, the shutdown advisory came and, you know, the decision on whether to stay open and do carry out and take away, it wasn't that hard for us because that's not, was never a huge part of our business to begin with. So it that would not have been an easy kind of like, okay, let's just do that. Sure. I also considered that I, I, I didn't know enough about the virus and how it was transmitted and, and how virulent it was and still don't to want to bring my people in together to work, you know, and, and take the chance of getting somebody sick or somebody having, you know, no symptoms, but carrying it. And then they take it home to my kids or my, you know, their kids, their mom. I just didn't want to take that risk. And I, and I knew pretty quickly that it was going to be more than just, oh, we can just do carry out and take out. And it's like, that, that's not, that's a band aid That's not going to help right now. We're going to have to have a bigger, a bigger solution for this. I wanted to, you know, save some money. And so we shut down and have remained shut. Now we're, we're in the process of getting our kind of uh, plan together for that slow reopening. Um, but that, that to me is not in two weeks, you know, it's, it's not, it's not May 1st, certainly not May 1st. Well, that's my next question. When is the government now is now saying the governor is saying that in non, you know, in kind of rural areas that they're going to start reopening real soon, the highly populated areas, these urban areas, they're not going to. Yeah. Well, kind of what's your, what's your take on that? Well, I mean, my take is, like I said before, when I, when I decided to shut down in March, this was pre, pre shutdown advisories and the market kind of made my decision for me. People will listen to what, you know, our, our quote unquote leaders say, but they're going to do what they feel is right. So whether or not the governor or the mayor says you can go out to a restaurant, is not going to affect most people. They're going to look at what they consider to be the facts and the science and, and, and people that they trust. And they're going to make those decisions themselves. I don't think that just because the governor or the mayor says we, we can be open in a restaurant, that people are going to rush out. I think they're going to wait until they feel like it's safe. And they're going to wait, you know, until there's more idea of, you know, when there's going to be a vaccine, when there's going to be, you know, a better testing. And then they're going to start coming out. And that's a moving target. That changes day to day with, you know, how we're responding to the to the virus in different places and how well lockdowns are being heated. For me personally and for my restaurant, I know it's not going to be in two weeks. Um, it's probably not going to be in four weeks. And, and my best guess on when we can have guests in the restaurant again is, you know, mid to late June at the earliest. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, but that doesn't mean that we're not, we are going to start doing, uh, I've, I've retained a couple people on, on staff, on salary. Sure. So we are going to start doing some, you know, pre-ordered carry out family meals and we're going to start getting ready for that. Cause that's going to have to be a big part of any restaurant like ours. 
that's going to have to rely on uh, take take home and cook meals or or ready to eat uh, meals that are carried out curbside. And if you're not ready for that, you're going to be in trouble. So um, we're going to take the next month essentially um, hone that, and probably in, you know two to three weeks, hopefully have start rolling out a little bit of of the, those options where you can order online and pick it up, just like everybody that I know is still operating. You know that's that's what we're going to have to do, and then add in a little bit of the uh, in-person dining when we figure out what that looks like. We may be able to bridge the gap depending on what happens with the the PPP and the uh, EIDL. You're 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 getting way ahead of me. My next question was going to be: Were you able to to secure? I mean, one of the big news stories out there is Ruth's Chris and Shake Shack giving back their money, but Ruth's Chris taking money and Potbelly sandwiches. These big national chains taking the PPP money and running it dry. I think they have a new additional funding coming yeah. right now, maybe tomorrow. Yeah, were you able to secure any of those? Uh, we I, honestly, we did. We did apply for the PPP, and I received it. Uh, received it last Friday. It's in a brand new account of mine at Truxton Trust, which is my local uh, banking partner. Fantastic people, by the way. Um, Truxton Trust. I always like to shout out great local people. So Truxton Trust. Yeah, Truxton Trust. It's a local private uh, bank uh, who has funded our uh, venture, and there are partners uh, here, and. You know they've worked with the SBA before, and so they, you know, they were probably better positioned than some of the larger banks because they have such a great relationship. We, when we applied, we had that, we had a pretty quick response, and we didn't apply that early on. I mean, I'm, during that process, I think it was halfway through the process, the first two or two weeks or so that we applied. So we did get that, and we're we're in a much better position as far as like, okay, we have some cash now, but. You know, as far as what the money's intended for, it's it's almost counterproductive in in some ways. Unless they change some of the rules on how and when we can use this money, it's just going to turn into a loan for us. Um, you know, uh, it's intended to pay your staff during the next eight weeks, and that's just really silly to me because then I'm gonna if I spent if I use all that for the next eight weeks when we're not open, what am I going to use to pay them when we're open? And there's 30% of our normal business. I mean, it just, uh, it, it's a little bit frustrating. I think a few small rule changes with just the PPP would allow a lot of businesses like mine to make better decisions with, uh, with that money. For instance, you know, instead of having to use it as soon as it goes into your bank account, they should start the clock on that when you reopen and hire back, let's say 50% of your staff, then you will have money to spend on the staff. You can start getting your business ready to open again. It's like reopening your business or, you know, relaunching your business. And you might, that might be enough to kind of get you through from, you know, where we are to where things start to look somewhat closer to normal than they are right now. But as it is right now, if you can't open your business, you're just basically being a substitute for the, for the unemployment insurance. You're just taking money from the government and giving it to the employees, just like the unemployment insurance would do. They're just putting a middleman in and it just doesn't make sense to me. You know, I, what sense is it to pay people for eight weeks and then shut the doors and fire them again? But if, if the idea is for businesses to survive long-term, they need to amend that. They need to amend those rules to, uh, you know, be a little bit more lenient on when you can start the clock on that money. And what you can use the money for. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Now that being said, 
if you if you don't use it for payroll, it turns into a one percent loan loan for a couple of years. So it's not it's not the worst deal ever. You know, it's 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 still money that you can use if you want it forgiven. You have to spend it all on essentially being the unemployment insurance. But if you don't, then you you need you got a couple of years to pay back a very low percentage loan on some cash that you need right now. So, you know, I'm not saying it's the worst thing ever. I'm just saying they could make one or two tweaks and it would be really, really beneficial uh, and it would do what it's intended to do. But as it is, it's not. I think there's a a way if you go to save PPP, uh, I know Sean Brock is big on this right now. I, I follow him on Instagram and he just continues to post about things, ways we can tweak PPP. So I don't necessarily just blowing up his Instagram, but he has links on there that if you're listening to this and you Mm -hmm. want to help fix the PPP so that restaurant owners like John and so many other people, uh, people like me who own a business that uh, I, it's a tough time to have a restaurant consulting business, to be honest, but um, how we can use the money to continue to, to keep our businesses from folding. I think that's the main thing. Keep right. these small locally owned restaurants, which are really the one thing I've learned so much throughout these interviews I've been doing is that locally owned and operated restaurants are really the lifeblood of our culture. Uh, that, and of course, in Nashville, music is, is so imperative as well. But just all of the different restaurants in these chefs, the way that they cook and what they cook and how they share all of this stuff is, is really part of what our culture is. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And we've got to preserve it. I mean, we live in a town that includes Al's Deli and Arnold's and Hathorne and the Catbird Seat and, you know, Folk. And I mean, we have so many different restaurants that are operating at the top of their game. It it was crazy. It was just, we were living in the the peak restaurant culture of Nashville's history. And it was amazing. The past, you know, year to five years and and just the past year, you know, has been, we've seen amazing things. So the the culture here is incredible. And that's what I've always loved about it. You know, it's, it's these small places that are exactly doing what you said, just doing it their way, trying to find, trying to work together, supporting each other. So many cool things happening. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge blow to our, our culture. Um, what's, you know, what's going, what's going to happen, of course. So, yeah, uh, I want to, I want to transition because I don't want to keep you here forever. Although again, I feel like I talked to you for an hour and a half and keep going. <laughs> I want to talk about Hathorne and I want to talk about your restaurant in, you know, six months ago, what you guys are doing. I want, I want to bring a smile to your face right now, thinking about that place, Hathorne at a full, full capacity, rocking and rolling, what that looks like. If you're a listener and you've never been there, you don't know anything about it. I'd love to hear you talk about your restaurant. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, look, um, Hathorne, I've been thinking about what my restaurant would be for a long time. You know, I, I, I had different ideas for places, but I, like you said at the beginning, I'd always been a hired gun and I'd been hired to take somebody else's vision and elevate it. So, you know, getting a chance to do your own thing is um, it's incredible. It's an amazing opportunity, but it's also incredibly <laughs> challenging because then you're like, well, here, what would you do? Uh, with a restaurant. And so I got to, I really fortunately got 
the opportunity to found this building. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to we were able to raise enough money to buy the property, buy the building. So that's a that's a great advantage to us. But found this building, and Hathorne is my grandmother's maiden name. It just fit the feel of the building. It's an old church building. Um, and so Hathorne kind of has an old churchy kind of feel to it. And it's an, it's an old fellowship hall of a church. And so as I started putting together the menu, everything just kind of fell together in a way that, you know, felt like it was meant to be. Um, you know, I've always, as you, we've already discussed, I've always been a proponent of local regional producers, small vendors, uh, working closely with, with farmers and, and, and other producers and, uh, this was the perfect opportunity. We're right across from the West Nashville Farmers Market. You know, we're on the west side of town where we're, we are, are close to a lot of these farmers that live out in Ashland City, Jolton, you know, up north and that kind of thing. So had a real opportunity to to use some of these things. And like you said, six months ago or even three months ago, February was our best month since we opened. We had our best sales, our best cost of goods and labor. We had our, you know, our continued to get amazing uh, press and accolades, you know, our reviews were good. Things were humming. People were happy. Um, that's the first month I actually, um, made money. Um, you know, and after about 14 months of business, that's a pretty good schedule. So I can imagine to go from that to, to March was, um, was pretty shocking and, and heartbreaking, but at the same time, I wanted to be like, Hey, we, we got there, you know, in February. So if you came in and, and, you know, on a busy night in February, you know, we had three record days in February. We were turning people away at the door and, and and people standing and waiting. And it was just a good vibe, a good feel. We had our little private dining room, um, was booked up quite a bit. We were about to open the patio. So we were on track for a great spring, which was hope, hopefully going to set us up for, you know, many years of, of good business. I'd, I'd started to see the kind of the, the horizon and be like, okay, we're going to, we're at least going to make it to where we're going to be in business for a little bit. That's never a, a, a certain thing, <laughs> obviously. Well, congratulations. I mean, I just want to say congratulations because I know going from what you're doing in all of the work, I don't know if anybody out there has ever opened a restaurant. I'm sure most of you have. But what you were discussing, all of the things you got to do to get the restaurant open, all those decisions, all from, from just the conceptual idea of what it's going to be to putting it into fruition in 14 months to have the best month that you've ever had to see something that you've been dreaming about for so long actually work. Yeah. yeah. That's gotta be, that's gotta be just the best feeling in the world, isn't it? It was feeling great. And in February, I mean, January and February being our two best months yet. I mean, those are typically fairly, fairly slow months in a lot of places. So it felt, it felt so good. The culture was there. Uh, I, after going through many, many different iterations of people and combinations, and we we had the, the right group of people in the right places. And um, so, yeah, it felt really good. How would you describe the culture? Well, I've always been one to try to hire great people. Uh, don't, I mean, instruct them and train them, but don't overtrain them. Don't over kind of, don't try to make them do everything the way that you would do it. Just set personally, I've always just tried to get in there and work alongside people, lead by example, but really just hire people that you trust and then trust them, you know, un until, you know, hopefully they will, they will fulfill that and, and it'll be great. And if they don't, then you make a change, but hire great people, encourage their own, you know, personalities and let them be creative. I mean, that's one of the things I learned early on is that if I found a, a great bar 
uh, manager or beverage director, uh, don't dictate too much. Give them a, you know, a direction and be like, however we get there, I want you to be a part of this. You know, same thing with the food. You know, I've, I've you know been in the kitchen for most of my career, but when you open a restaurant, you really have to kind of step back. It, to, to some extent, um, if if you're the owner and GM and all that, you can't just be in there prepping all day. So I had to step back and and take and give my chefs a little a lot more free reign um, than I would normally. And you know, if I were the chef in the, in the in the restaurant, so let them be creative, let them come up with stuff, encourage them, support them, and that worked. I mean, I had you know, I've had fortunate enough to have two great chefs come on board with me, Joey Moltini. Uh, at first, and then just recently promoted Evan LaGiacono. And these two guys are just two of the best chefs I've ever worked with. Young, ambitious, creative, nice to work with, nice to the front of house staff. I mean, just tick off the box of everything you want from a chef. And I've had two of them in the past 18 months. It's been it's been incredible. I'm really lucky about that. And um, But that's it. Just hire creative people, support them as much as you can, and then trust Trust them a little bit, you know. Yeah. Trust, trust the plan. You know, uh, I think once people see the culture of the place and they see that, you know, we don't, you know, we help each other. <laughs> We're not out. You know, we, we don't deal with a lot of drama. We don't deal with a lot of outside drama. And, you know, that gets shut down pretty quick. I mean, God, I mean, the first week we were open, Brandon, it was, you know, I fired somebody on the spot because I walked in and saw them sticking their finger in a jar of coconut oil to, to, to moisturize their hands. And I was like, what do you do? That's a food product. I was like, well, I'm sorry, med school. I won't do it again. I was like, no, you're fired. Get, get, you know, get out of here. That's crazy. You know, I think when people see that you, 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 you have a pretty clear line of like, this is how we do things. Then hire the people that you know are going to strive to go past that uh, and, and support them. So. Your finger in the coconut oil. Finger in the coconut oil. He kind of looked up. I was like, uh, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah. I, love that. I was like, you asked me, I would have given you a jar of coconut oil. I would have given you that. If you would have just said, hey, can I have this for my in my dry hands? I would have given it to you. No problem. Sure, it's great. <laughs> but don't take it, take it and put it back on the shelf like no one's been in it. Anyway, that was probably, maybe you should cut that out of this interview. That's a, a, little, <clears throat> a little behind the scenes uh, that happens at a lot of restaurants. I well, that's that's kind of part of the fun part about this, you know. I mean, I think that there's so many people that work in restaurants. There's so I'd love to do a show. Where I just strictly talk about stuff like that. Oh God, because that's be that's every single day. I've always thought I thought the funnest part about working in a restaurant to me is that every single day I get up. You may get up the same way every single day. I may wake up, turn to my right walk to the bathroom, brush my teeth, turn around, look at my phone, kiss my wife, say the kid. I could do the same thing every single day. But the second I walk into those doors, it's all different. Like you have no clue what you're walking into every single day. And you just have to be ready. You can't be set on today. We're going to do this, 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 and this, because it never goes that way. You have to be a little bit willing to pivot and there's always something. So I want to do a show where I just talk about all of the random one-offs that happen to people. Oh man, you got, that would be a great show. You got to, you got to do a show on that. There's so many little things that, you know, little quirks and tricks that happen in the restaurant that you, you would have a, you'd have a very popular show. I think that was my original goal with the podcast was to do a call-in show at the end of the day, every day, like 
you know, I always had this dream like a Lightning 100 would pick me up for Nashville Restaurant Radio. He would call in and tell me the craziest stories of that night. <laughs> so when you got off work, you get in your car, you turn the radio on, you could listen to Nashville Restaurant Radio and hear people all over the city tell their stories. Oh, that's great. That was my original idea. Maybe one day, but this is a... Uh, I'm enjoying this equally as much getting to know... Um, in depth with the chefs and people in the town that are making it happen. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks, John. Um, anything else you want to say? I mean, we're, we're right there at the 45 minute mark. Anything you want to say to people in Nashville, anything at all? Uh, you know, I want to say thank you uh, to everybody, especially uh, thank you to all our, our guests and employees and, and people who've supported me throughout my career. But, uh, uh, also hang in there and, um, you know, this is again the, one of the most challenging times anybody. It's definitely the most challenging time any of us have faced, especially as restaurateurs. Adapt as much as possible. I don't think any of us have really the true answer. I think we're all fighting to f- find the best way to deal with this. And uh, you know, it's going to be a lot easier if we try to work together as much as possible. But uh, yeah, stay safe. Hug your hug yourself and your family, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll figure out a way to rebuild the the vibrant culture that we have you know once this is all over i think we're going to and i think that we're going to be uh, i think everybody's going to be okay i think the fact that we're all like you said earlier it's not just hathorne that's dealing with this it's everybody and everything can't happen and uh to everybody at the same time in a bad way something will, will fix us just stay strong i put a podcast out on monday and i said my key my three keys are Stay healthy mentally first and physically second. Um, stay hungry. Get out there and figure out what you're going to do. Do something to help yourself grow and then help. Help people as best you possibly can in whatever way you can. The three things you could be doing right now. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Well, I want to have you back on once this whole thing gets going. I can't wait to, to kind of see the transition. Once you get going, I want to do 45 minutes about you talking about your restaurant and what you're doing. I want to talk about menus. I want to talk recipes. I want to talk happy hour, cocktails, all of the fun stuff that is happening at Hathorne on a daily basis uh, when you reopen. Sounds great. I'm uh, looking forward to that and uh, appreciate talking to you today. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, man. It's great catching up with you. Thank you so much, John Stevenson, for joining us here on Nashville Restaurant Radio. If you want to follow John on Instagram, he is at Chef John Stevenson, and his restaurant is Hathorne at, at Hathorne Nashville. I want to thank John Still for post production and editing, and I want to thank you, the listener for stopping by and uh, checking us out today. So as always, we hope you are staying safe. Love you guys. Bye.